Hi friends, and welcome back to Pastor Professor Paul's Midweek Bible Festival. Thanks for putting up with my uh, skip last week. Uh, we're back to it this week. We're back to it, but we're also going to be a little bit off script this week. I'm uh, putting aside the lectionary in favor of one of my favorite books of Scripture, which some of you may know is one of my favorite books of Scripture, the book of Job. I think Job has something to tell us in this time of um, struggle, this time of suffering for many, uh, this time of isolation for many. And I've become aware as a pastor and as a friend, really over the last week or two, uh, that um, some of the suffering out there is acute. And Job is ever fresh, always has something to tell us. One friend of mine in particular is very alone. He doesn't live in the state. Um, I'm afraid he's getting uh, pretty depressed and kind of living uh, on the edge a bit. And he's very isolated. And he's wondering why this is happening. <clears throat> and uh, he's a religious person. And he knows about Job. But um, he's wondering why this is happening at a time when he really needs to be with people. Grab some water. Throat's a bit dry. So, my friend is trying to make sense of things. And maybe some of you are too. I don't know. I suspect some of you are. So, what I like to do here tonight is to tell the story of Job. You know the story of Job, but I'm going to tell it um, without reference to what causes Job's struggle. In other words, I'm going to sort of just step you through the story from the point of view of Job. Well, when the curtain opens, you know, uh, sunny skies, all is well. Our hero Job is at the top of the social order, okay? He has health. He has wealth. He has a family, a large family, who loves him and who lives well, and he has a fine, outstanding social position. He was not only rich, he was good and revered. The Bible opens, the Bible, the, the book of Job opens, there once was a man whose name was Job. That man was blameless and upright. He feared God and turned away from evil. And as I said, he was wealthy. In many ways, not just in money, but in children. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and very many servants. So that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. So Job had it going on. Not only was he, you know, he wasn't just good, and he wasn't just rich. He was deeply, deeply wise, and he was judicious, and he was compassionate, and he was a tireless advocate for people who had less than him, which was pretty much everybody. But in particular, he was an advocate for the poor, for the widows, the orphans, and other marginalized people of his world. So he was a deeply good person. 
and he lived well. He lived uh, in fear of the Lord. That's what it said, right? Uh, he was blameless and upright. He feared God. And as you remember from the book of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So Job was wise. He was actually a judge. Uh, he sat in the city gate, which was kind of like their supreme court, and cast, you know, rendered fair judgments left and right. So he was a very well-situated person, and that's how the book opens. But then he loses it all, and quickly too, very quickly, within a day or so. First, he loses his children. All ten of them, the house falls on them while they're feasting. He loses his wealth, his livestock. All that livestock that I mentioned, that's basically how wealth was measured in his time. All of it gone. So with his wealth and his children went his social position. He was no longer at the top of the social pyramid, at the apex. Then he lost his health shortly thereafter and for no reason whatsoever. No reason whatsoever. It just happened. Some of, the, some of the catastrophes were natural. There was wind involved, storms. Some of it was, you know, the marauding Phoenicians or whoever it was, it wasn't the Phoenicians, but it was some opposing army. So it came from all sides, it came quickly, and it came for no reason whatsoever. The entire thing was completely opaque to our man Job. He knows nothing except one thing. He's lost everything. Well, two things. One, he's lost everything. And two, he is innocent. He has gone from the zenith of the social order to its nadir. That's a nice astronomy word. You know, zenith is the point right above your head. And the nadir is the point directly below your feet, the low point. So he went from the zenith of the social order down to its nadir. And things looked a little different from the bottom of the social order than they did from the top. The, 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 the lowest ranks of society made fun of him. They mocked him. They spat on him as he sat on the ash heap outside the city walls, mourning his losses. They turned on him. So things looked very different, and he was in a horrible, horrible place. So a catastrophe shows up out of the blue for no known reason. So he sits on the ash heap, mourning his losses, and his friends show up. Uh, friends' names are Bildad, let's see, we got uh, Bildad, Zophar, and um, Eliphaz. And later on, a fourth uh, interlocutor comes around, but let's not worry about him. Not going to get that detail. Basically, friends pop by, and for a week, they sit with him in silence, stunned as he is by his losses. Let's see, where were we? And they stay silent for a week, which, by the way, is wisdom <laughs> when somebody's suffering. Then after a week, Job cries, cries out. He can't take it anymore. He's had it. Job is angry with God. Job cries out, Let the day perish in which I was born, and the night that said, Let a man-child be conceived. 
Let that day be darkness. May God above not seek it nor shine light on it. Let that day be darkness. With these words, Job inverts the opening, God's opening phrase in Scripture. God said, let there be light. Here, Job calls down darkness. So it's a great inversion of the creation story. And in some ways, the whole Job drama is a decreation story. So with these words, Job inverts God's first words in Scripture, let there be light. And Job asks, why did I not die at birth? He goes on. He gets depressed. He gets very depressed. He gets very angry. He says, when I say, when he wants to lie in bed and feel better. My bed will comfort me, he says. But then he says, you, God, you scare me with dreams and terrify me with visions so that I would choose strangling and death rather than this body. I loathe my life. If that's not depression, I don't know what is. Isolation. God is gone here. Job says, if I go forward, God is not there. If I go backward, I cannot perceive him. On the left, he hides. I turn to the right, but I cannot see him. So Job is in despair. And over a number of chapters, Job ramps up the rhetoric and is furious with God for what has happened. Now, his friends sit back and listen to this for a while, but they can't help stepping in and correcting Job. His friend Eliphaz responds, Think now, Job. Just settle down and think now. Who that was innocent ever perished? Or where were the upright cut off? In other words, Eliphaz thinks Job is guilty. Who that was innocent ever perished? What Eliphaz is saying is that, Job, you have done something to bring this upon yourself. This is in keeping now with the standard issue wisdom of the day. Job is guilty, Eliphaz believes, and this is all his fault. And the other friends as well chime in with well-worn wisdom, known also as tired religious cliches, to convince Job of his essential guilt. Eliphaz even says that Job should be happy. How happy is the one who God reproves? In other words, Job, God is reproving you for something. You have sinned. This is the price you're paying for it. You need to take a clue and straighten yourself out with God. But Job says, no, I'm innocent. And Job is right. Zophar, friend number two, piles on with this zinger. God exacts from you less than your guilt deserves. God is taking from you less than your guilt deserves. In other words, Job deserved, in the eyes of Zophar, to lose more. He's getting, he's getting off good in Zophar's eyes. God exacts from you less than your guilt deserves. But, of course, Job goes on. And positions kind of harden over time. You know, the, the 
the three on one side, the one on the other. They're arguing back and forth. I'm guilty. I mean, you're, you're guilty, Job. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. But in lovely Hebrew poetry, gullible couplets, you know. After a while, Bildad says, How long will you say these things, Job, and the words of your mouth be a great wind? They're getting angry at Job now for being angry at God. Does God pervert justice? Bildad asks. It's a rhetorical question. The assumed answer is no. And so the conclusion from that is, Job, you have done something wrong. God does not pervert justice. This punishment is on you for a reason. But of course, that's not so. And Job is a judge, like I said. So Job knows enough about justice to know he's not getting any. Now, all of these replies from his friends are standard kind of replies. They fit squarely within the traditional wisdom of the day, a wisdom found mainly in Proverbs book of Proverbs, which says that if you do good things, then good things will happen to you. In fact, that's what got Job set up in the first place, right? He was virtuous, therefore he was rich and happy. And that was the result of his virtue. So the same wisdom that made Job who he was is now working against him. Okay. But he claims his own experience tells him, I'm innocent. Job wants justice within this traditional framework, but he does not get it. And he demands that God show up and be at least as just to Job as Job was with the orphans and the widows and the destitute in his community. Because Job was fair. Job was compassionate. He rendered good judgments. He was kind to those who were beaten down, and now he demands the same of God. So what we have here is a tension between tradition and experience. Experience is a powerful thing. Job has experienced the fact that he is an innocent man, but he has experienced great loss. His experience tells him that something is wrong with the old wisdom. The old party line is not holding up. The tradition of that he was raised in is not working for him anymore. His experience is, by, is, is, is violating, is not violating, is, 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 is proving that the tradition seems to be on shaky ground. So after all this happens and the arguments go back and forth and the positions get harder and they get super entrenched and Job gets hotter and hotter and his friends get more and more defensive and try to explain more and more how Job is wrong, God shows up. And of course, God's answer has nothing to do with justice exactly, right? That's what Job wanted was justice. He wanted at least a decent explanation for why this, he had lost what he lost. He's in the midst of this great suffering. And he wants to know why. And God enters the picture. And of course, you know what God does. God takes Job on a tour of creation. This is the longest divine speech in the entire Bible. God goes on and on and on about creation. You know, the sea and the stars and the earth. And then goes on and shows Job 
you know, um, the individual, some individual animals, right? And and so God goes on about goats and um, birds and so forth. And Job sees creation, and in in that experience of seeing creation and seeing God in creation, uh, Job is is uh, healed somehow. A very powerful thing. When it's all over. After Job had seen creation from the largest, you know, cosmic view all the way down to the smallest individual creature, Job says to God, my, eye, my ears had heard of you, but now my eye has seen you. Now my eye has seen you. But of course, all Job really saw was creation. God can be seen, reflected in, and shines through creation. And somehow this works. Somehow Job is satisfied. He gets up off the ash heap, dusts himself off, and walks away. Goes home, wherever home is at this point, I don't know. But here's what I want to leave you with. Before Job walks away, while he's still sitting on the ash heap with his friends, God says to Bildad and Zophar, and Eliphaz, the friends who were towing the party line, uh, offering up to Job some uh, theological cliches and some old standard-issue wisdom that didn't seem to hold up anymore. God turns to these three friends and says, What? God says, My wrath is kindled against you and your friends. For you, Eliphaz, Zophar, and Bildad have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Yet it was Job who was furious at God. And it was the friends who were giving standard religious answers. Sometimes the standard religious answers collapse in the face of our experience. My wrath is kindled against you, Eliphaz, Zophar, Bildad, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Go, he says to them, and make a burnt offering to me, and Job shall pray for you and cover your sin. Job's prayer covered the sin of his friends who did not speak right of God. So sometimes, in the face of experience, in the face of loss, in the face of depression and isolation and pandemic, we don't have to know why things are happening. We are free to speak to God directly, our hearts. Our experience, my experience, the church's communal experience, your experience is valid. It can stand up to religious formulas. Okay. It can stand up to received wisdom. And it doesn't always square with it. But your experience is valid. You can let God have it. My friend who's alone and suffering... He can let God have it. 
he can tell God the truth. He can open up his heart to God, even if that heart is full of anger and frustration. And God judged Job as being righteous and of speaking truly. How did, how did God put it? How did God put it? Job spoke of God what is right, even though God, Job was filled with acid anger. So you can let God have it. And finally, a little asterisk at the bottom. Don't ever forget, I can't let it go anytime I give a Bible lesson. Creation stands ready to heal you. Now, of course, it's not creation itself. It is God through creation. But creation is out there. And God speaks through it every day. So peace be to y'all. We'll pick up with the lectionary next week. Love you all. Have a great weekend.